I'm Elena Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Ilana. Welcome to a special edition of Grandmothers on the Move. Many of us have been watching with mounting horror at what's happening in the United States with the Trump administration's crackdown on illegal immigration and people coming across the border after the government's announcement of its zero-tolerance policy in April of this year, particularly focusing on the southwest border, where people fleeing violence, gang violence, persecution, domestic violence, predominantly from Central American countries, have been coming over the border illegally and have been arrested and when they arrived with children of any age, the children were being separated from them, taken to detention centers, foster homes, and even these tender age shelters for small children and toddlers. The mind recoils. Many of these desperate migrants tried to enter legitimate border points where they can apply for asylum, but many reports have emerged saying that they're being turned away wholesale and that desperate and having come so far, they then come across the border illegally at another point of entry. I've been reading the news stories, as I know you have, and it seems that there are nearly 3,000 children who have been separated from their parents. Of course, this went to a court and the judge ordered that the children under five years of age be reunited with their parent or parents by the end of July. And that has, according to all accounts, not yet happened. The last numbers I heard were that there were only about 57 of the 103 migrant children who were under five, who had been reunited. Horrific stories of completely inadequate tracking and children in detention across the U.S., sometimes thousands of miles away from where their parents are being kept, suggest that the complete restoring of these fractured families will be a long and painful process. It's really such a cause for outrage and, I have to admit, some despair. But then I started to hear about grandmothers who were taking a stand. And today I want to bring you two heartening stories of resistance and action. The first, a group of grandmothers and grandmothers came together to form the action Grannies Respond, Abuelas Responden. This is a caravan of awareness raising and protests that will leave New York on July 31st and end in McAllen, Texas, one of the main ports of entry at the border on August 6th. I'll let the two representatives I have the pleasure of interviewing today tell you all about it. They'll be stopping in cities across the United States to raise awareness, pick up participants, and I'm going to post the Grannies Respond, Abuelas Respondent statement on the Grandmothers on the Move website so you can all read it. I love what it says and stands for. Here's just a taste of their outrage, their clarity, and determination. These are short quotes from their statement. We are grannies on a mission. We are outraged by the cruel and inhumane way our government is treating immigrant children and their families who have risked all to find refuge from violence and oppression. We demand the immediate reunion of children with their families. We will not be quiet. We are traveling to McAllen, Texas with a message of basic human decency with the hope that you will join us along the way. We've been around long enough to know right from wrong. We've spent our lives caring for others and we won't stand for this. 
Terrific stuff. Immediately after I speak to the two representative grandmothers from Granny's Respond, I'm going to share with you today my conversation with Liz DeCoup from California. I heard about Liz when I saw a clip of her being arrested. She'd gone with the group to one of these detention centers with toys and singing lullabies, and she'll share her story today as well. Liz is a truly fine example of a grandmother whose compassion and calm resolve will undoubtedly inspire you. Her court date's coming up, so I wanted to be sure we heard from her today so we can all lend her our solidarity. So, lots to discuss and be roused by today. Let's get to it. Claire Nelson is from Beacon, New York, where Grannies Respond, Abuelas Responden, first got started and calls herself a grandmotherly activist. And Rafia Jones is from Washington, D.C. and calls herself an unlikely activist. It's wonderful to have both of you on Grandmothers on the Move. Welcome. It is tremendous to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. I know that people around the world, actually, have been extremely moved and excited by this initiative, which is a group of grandmothers, and I know you have others, grand others, starting in a kind of caravan in New York on July 31st and making your way across the United States, ending up in McAllen, Texas, where I understand from Claire you're going to have an action for 24 to 48 hours, protesting what has happened with the United States government's policy around separating children from their parents. Let me start with you, Claire. Can you tell us a bit about how this came to be, what it is exactly, and what the vision is behind Granny's Respond, Abuela's Respondent? I actually believe it not started as a Facebook post <laughs> from a young man by the name of Dan, a middle-aged man who has some children. And he just kind of put it out and said, you know, this what's happening right now with this whole policy and the separation of families is just cruel and inhumane. So he put it out and said, let's get the grannies involved in this. And then meetings happened and grannies and young people got together and put this whole itinerary together. Our main mission was that we were just so outraged by the the cruel and inhumane way that the government was treating these immigrant children and the families who have risked all to find refuge from violence and oppression. And we felt like we just had to respond. And the way we looked at it was we were going to be traveling through various cities. We're leaving New York. We're going to have a kickoff on the 31st in New York City. And from New York, we'll be going to Reading, Pennsylvania, spending the night on the 31st, then on to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on August 1st, leaving the morning of the 2nd to Louisville, the morning of the 3rd to Montgomery, Alabama, on the 4th to New Orleans, and then reaching McAllen, Texas on the 5th. So we picked some of these cities because some of them are swing states. We wanted to make a presence. We have been doing a lot of outreach and, you know, including a lot of community centers, peace movements, immigration, rights organizations, social justice group, trying to say, well, here we're coming. We'd like to partnership with you. And really depending upon what's happening in each individual city, as well as who we have connected with, depends upon what we're doing. So I have been working with the outreach in Pittsburgh. So I can just give you a little uh, explanation of what we're doing there. We're hoping to get there in the middle of the afternoon and maybe do some singing or just standing on the street and just talking to people. 
I have connected with a wonderful, wonderful grandmother from the uh, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, a 94-year-old woman who's part of that group, as well as the Raging Granny. So she has been my contact for Pittsburgh. Without her, I think it would have been very difficult. We're planning to have a meal with her at 5.30. Then we're planning to invite partnerships to come and have a speak-out model discussion with everybody. And most people will be of like minded, but we're just going to talk and say, well, what can we do as action plans and what have we done so far? We'll have our meal, we'll do some singing, we may have some civil disobedience discussion, and that's what's happening in Pittsburgh. In other towns, we are still gathering information and we will be housed by people in the town. So, like I said, it's become a a pretty big movement. We have a lot of young people that are not going on the ride, but have been in the background doing a lot of social media, a lot of magazines that have interviewed. We've got a GoFund page. So far, we've raised $8,294. Our goal is $14,000, and basically that's for gas. And if our bus ban breaks down, all the costs will be covered by Granny's response. The grannies who are riding will have to pay for their own food, but in terms of lodging and all the gas will be taken care of. And any of us who will be leaving earlier or from Texas will then fly back. We're very excited about this and just amazed how that it has grown. And a lot of it is just about the story. Like you talked before, grannies, who are we? What do we stand for? And we feel like this is how we're going to respond as elderly, wise women who have grandchildren or know of grannies who have grandchildren, just to make it a better world for our own children and all the children. That's just beautiful and very powerful. And Rafia, you call yourself an unlikely activist. Why do you give yourself that moniker and what brought you to this action? Well, actually, I had been thinking of how to get involved. You know, you always feel in your heart that you object or you support one thing or another. Watch the news, you listen to the news, you talk with your friends, you go to meetings, you participate by voting and this kind of thing. But it wasn't enough for me. And I really wanted to put some of my energy towards something very specific. But I didn't know what it would be. And believe it or not, my friend Roya, who is in Pennsylvania, we used to live in Seattle together and we did many things together. We were very good friends, but we kind of lost contact over the years. And I called her about three weeks ago and said, Roya, we're so close. Let's just stay in touch. And then about a week later, she says, I don't know, Rafia, if you want to do this, but I want to let you know what's been going on. And she gives me the background. And I just say it was the answer to a prayer. I knew her. I trusted the organization, the movement. I really liked that it wasn't very experienced people who were doing this, but people like myself who just decided they had to do something. And so I felt that I really fit into this group. And I'm a grandmother of 11. Wow. And so I just can't imagine for a moment that this would happen to one of my grandchildren. And it was just the perfect match. And I'm so glad that I'm involved. And every day I learn more about the women and men involved. And it just is a confirmation. This is the right place for me right now. 
I've been very interested by how diverse the background and places are that the people are coming and grandmothers are coming from to join in. I wonder if I can ask the two of you a little more personally than I know that there are many, many grandmothers from different walks of life involved. But Claire, you had mentioned that your parents were Holocaust survivors. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if that informs any of what you're doing now and where are you placed in all of this? What has brought you to this moment? Like you said, my parents did survive the Holocaust. And when they came to the United States through Ellis Island, they were welcomed. This was in 1938, actually, before the war really broke out in Vienna. So they were one of the lucky ones to get out earlier. And it was interesting growing up in that kind of environment because they truly, truly wanted to be American. They wanted to forget persecution and the discrimination against them. But it was ingrained as I was growing up that we just have to be so careful because this can happen again. But I grew up in a middle-class New Jersey environment, very, very American. And it just stood in my mind when this whole thing happened at the border, when, when the families were separated, that this can happen again. And I just, I have to get involved. I also, through my career, I was an advocate for special needs children in Vermont. And I always advocated for those children to get services. So my heart just broke when I saw that they were being separated. And I knew just from being with children that when children are separated from their families, that can cause irreparable harm. And actually, my husband is also, he's one of the grampies that is is going on the ride because he was also working with children as a school psychologist. And we do have five children. Three of them are a bicultural background. So there is that fear <laughs> always that stands yes. in our way. What kind of world are our children going to be living in? Got to join together and change this climate. And as I was sitting right before I made my call, my youngest little grandchild, I was feeding him his bottle. He's just a year. And uh, he's just looking in my eyes, you know, as I was feeding him, getting ready for his nap. And I kind of said to him, it's going to be a better world world. It's got to be a better world. So that's why I'm there. What better reason could one have? And Rafia, what is it about your experience in life? What brought you to take action? Hmm. Well, I think what really brought me to take action is that everything that's going on right now is having a sense of familiarity in terms of our history, particularly Mm -hmm. here in America. You know, the way the ugly head of racism has gotten so bold now and it's been turned toward children. You know, this is how this stuff happens. Little by little, day by day, ugly head pops up and over time enough ugly heads pop up that the ugliness that we have either heard about or witnessed in our lives is present. And you have to ask yourself, oh, what was I doing? Where was I? How did this happen? So I just know I have to be a part of what I believe is good and wholesome and responsible for my grandkids for the moment that we're living in and that I have to set an example so that my children at least and my grandchildren, my my um, legacy will be you have to do something. Mm-hmm. I'm African-American, so our whole history from the Atlantic slave trade enterprise to today is not that far from my reality. 
somebody I know has someone very close in their memory, especially at my age now. These experiences are very real. Like Claire, it was her parents who experienced the Holocaust. And for me, it's my grandparents and my great-grandparents who I know had some segregated, some racist experience in life. So a lot of times when people have been victimized, communities have been suppressed, you can kind of feel that you're always at the mercy of someone else. And so I have a rebellious nature just growing up in my family. I never take no for an answer. I'm not defined by someone else's definition. And so it just has boiled up in me that I have to stand and I have to hopefully give courage to others to also stand. And so many adages come to my mind. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? I'm also Muslim. And we all, I believe at this point, have had some kind of experience with the Muslim or influence of what Islam is or Islam isn't. And Muslims are another group who we're still working through through having our voice, creating our narrative ourselves and not letting other people define for ourselves who we are and what we stand for. So I'm really part of this movement, hoping to engage more of my African-American grandmothers and grandothers and more Muslims. There was a vigil right here in Bristol, Virginia. There's a detention center here and there were some children who were brought there, older ones, but there was a vigil and it was an interfaith vigil. So I'm very excited for all of the different ways and I'm excited about what you're doing with this podcast and bringing the struggles of communities in Africa and the prison system. Children have been separated from their families, not just now, but you see, for me, I see if we don't do something, it just keeps infecting, infecting, infecting. And now we've got these poor babies on the breast who've been snatched away from their mothers. So I just have to be my human self and get involved. Well, there is there is a terrible continuity, as both of you are saying. Yeah. It exists, and, and it gathers momentum. It's frightening to think that some things can be normalized. Right. Acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Things that we would never have thought were possible. Right. And yet, as you say, both of you, we see it unfolding in the United States. I wanted to ask you about this. You chose, collectively, to call it Grannies Respond, Abuelas Responden. Claire, perhaps you lead us off to tell me, what was it about having grannies as the mm-hmm. leadership concept of naming yourselves in this action? Well, I think that we all have some wonderful memories of our grandmothers ourselves, of the kinds of things that our grandmothers stood for in the era that they lived in. I mean, my grandmother was from, you know, the old school, wore the old kind of house dress with the, with the shoes, but her love and her understanding and her hugs and her compassion, I felt it in my heart all the time. Different than my own parents that dealt with the everyday management and maintenance of children and working. So, Grannies to me represent that. And I see myself now as a grandmother. We give a certain, how should I say, an attention, a certain love, a certain joy, a certain sacrifice of ourselves to our grandchildren. We're just there for them. And my oldest grandson said, Oma, 
I am always going to remember you as one who just does fun activities with me. You know, <laughs> so we can just play and just have a good time and be down on the floor. And luckily, I feel that health-wise, I can do that. I can swim in the pool. I can run after them. I'm giving that piece of me that maybe I didn't give my own children at the time. So it's different. And it's like you're falling in love again. You're modeling. And the model that I want to do for my grandchildren is say, if you want to follow your dreams and there's something that you're unhappy about, you need to speak out. You need to use your voice whether it be in your schooling, now in preschool, whether it be in elementary school, college, later on in life, this is the future of what's happening in this world really lies with you. So I think the grannies, anybody of senior age that has experience with other children has that special aura around them that children just adore and become part of. So that's why the respect that grannies get. And like you said before, I think that we are of a generation that do fight, speak our voice, are out there doing social justice and it's important for society to see that this is who we are. And I did find something very interesting. I saw a little sign the other day that somebody wrote, aging may have slowed me down, but it hasn't shut me up. And that's, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm slowing down a little bit, but I still have my voice and I'm going to use my voice as much as I can to make this a better world for my grandchildren and all the children. And Rafia, in terms of engagement, Aging in this action as grannies, using that as the defining lens that we see you through when you all travel across the country or work behind the scenes to make it all happen? I think grannies respond is pretty simple, broad enough to reach anybody and everyone. Grannies, just as Claire has so beautifully shared about the experience of being a grandmother, respond. And we can help but identify with that. Because for me, my daughter lives in another city. And so I don't see those grandchildren every day. And when I see them, the love that I have for them is just, they look at me like, who are you to just love me? And I don't even know who you are. And it's just a moment that just fills me with such love and such joy. That's what we do. That's who grandparents are. We just love you for no reason. Of course, we love our children. But like you said, Claire, our children, we had another level of responsibility for them and maintenance for them, where with our grandchildren, all we have to do is just love them. And that's such a huge thing in our lives. And that's why grannies respond because we have this love that we have to protect. If I could just add something, I think the grannies respond to is how we're responding is about the story as much as how we are rallying and demonstrating because the story is that, like Rafi said, we have this love. So we are going through the cities as a group of grannies and others and just saying, here we are. We're responding to what's happening through peaceful ways, through meeting up with people, with organizing on some level, with singing, with just being us as grannies. You're both reminding me, I hope I get these words right, of a wonderful poem by Alice Walker. And one of the lines is, grandmothers are going to lead or must lead humanity to health, happiness, and sanity. The life of our species depends on it. That, mm. that feels like the story of mm -hmm. Granny's response 
respond. What are you hoping will come out of this? Well, we have written up a mission statement, but I don't have it off offhand now that other people did and probably said it more eloquently than I can. But I guess for me, my, my hope is that reunification of the children will continue just visiting all the cities and having conversations with people and gaining some insight. Why are people looking the other way and not thinking that this is a cruel way that the government is treating these families? And Rafia? My personal hope is that we continue to respond and we continue to galvanize the voice of humanity of being responsible for generations to come and how they feel about themselves and the person next to them, the person in front of them and the person that's coming behind them. So I just want to see that we don't stop, that we just keep going. And certainly the mission of this particular effort will be realized that in some way we will impact the legislation. I'm really hoping that we stir up that awareness so that we will be engaged in our communities. And I think, too, I would like to just, you know, do a quote from the Statue of Liberty that many, many immigrants pass through. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp by the door. And that, that just has to happen again. Ilana. What I think about really is if the indigenous people in this country had walls up when the pilgrims and other Europeans came here. And I just think we look at our own history and know that this land really belongs to you and to me, to all of us. So make that song clear on, on the road. Well, we're definitely going to do some singing. We've got One Love, and my husband and I wrote a song about separation of families, and we'll play our ukulele Beautiful. thing, and that's that's another message, just through singing and warmth and togetherness. Well, and music has always played a critical role in protest. Yes, music has. I can't thank both of you enough. I, I want to give people the information so that they can get in touch, because I know everyone listening wants to support Granny's there Respond you go. as well as Respond, and let's do this properly. You can join in the caravan across the country, you can help out in the background, and you can donate to make sure that if one of those buses break down, which we know it won't, but if it did, <laughs> well, we hope not. That's right. And certainly that there's enough gas to, we know that there's enough love to power this caravan, but we need the mundane like gas, so donate as well. You can go to www.grannysrespond.org. There's a Facebook page for Granny's Respond. I see Correct. that Granny's Respond yeah. is on Twitter. So whatever social media takes your fancy, you can mm-hmm. find Granny's Respond, Abuela's Respondent, and join in and lend your own voices, help out and make this as powerful as, as I know it will be. And I thank you both so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and your experience and your passion. To, and we all stand with you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Us. It was a pleasure. Bye now. What a terrific action. So now let me turn to Liz Deku. Liz is a nurse. She's been a nurse for 32 years, 31 of those years. She's been a maternal and child nurse and a lactation consultant. She's the grandmother of six. And I said at the outset, I heard about Liz because I saw her on a clip on YouTube being arrested because she was bringing toys to migrant children who had been separated from their parents. So Liz, welcome. It's wonderful to have you on Grandma 
Mothers on the Move. And why don't you start by telling us what happened here? Thank you so much, Ilana. Thank you for having me. And this is such an important issue. And I got involved when I became in part of a group called Solidaridad con los Niños, or Solidarity with the Children. And we had heard for a while that there were children being separated at the border and were tremendously concerned and outraged at the stories that we heard. But then we understood that there were two facilities in our community where children were being held. And we weren't sure what the situation was. And But our understanding was that these were children that had been separated as well from their parents. So we chose as a group to join together in learning and singing lullabies in Spanish for these children and in bringing them toys, stuffed animals, and dolls. And we called the facility and let them know we were coming. We did not hear back. Our lead person, Haley, called. So we chose to caravan up there from a church where we gathered. And we arrived and started singing lullabies. And we had baskets of toys. We got up toward the facility. And I stepped off the sidewalk. And the facility was still fairly far away. And we wanted to get closer as to sing the songs and not disturb the children, but be able to offer for our comfort and care. And a security person arrived and confronted us and said, you're not allowed here. And we said, well, we're just here to bring toys and to sing songs. And he said, no. And then immediately, seemed like right away, there were three police officers who arrived as well and told us that we could not proceed. And we were not really near the facility yet. And it seemed very, very harsh and very confrontive. When we were just there singing songs and and wanting to offer support for these children and and wanting to know how they were, wanting to know they were safe and okay, concerned about their welfare. So I asked the security person, I said, can you tell us anything about these children and how they are and, and how they're being cared for and please share what you can? And he said, I don't know anything. No, I can't share anything. And you're trespassing. At which point the police officers came up to us and said, if you don't leave, if you don't step back, you'll be arrested. And I said, well, I need to know that these children are okay and I want some information. Please, this is not okay. We've heard stories about how these children are being treated and we're concerned and they would not share anything and then they proceeded to arrest me. And another of our caravan, Jesse, was arrested as well. It seems so extreme, but of course, the whole situation is extreme. And I was very struck by the video that I guess it was one of the people who came with you that one of them took that was posted because it just seemed like the most innocent scene imaginable. You know, you're a perfectly lovely looking person, Liz, but you do not look intimidating. <laughs> and, you did, and you certainly didn't look like you were there to cause trouble. You were standing there with a basket full of toys and the blanket. And I wonder in that moment for you, what was your feeling about the rationale for having police presence there? I mean, that wasn't something clearly that you anticipated. No, not at all. I mean, I look back on it, it... They just were there all of a sudden, and it made no sense that we were not welcome. There was no reason not to say, well, please come sing lullabies. How wonderful. Yes, we're concerned too. You know, they're part of our community. This is not at all how it was. All of us were very peaceful. (laughs) singing songs and wanting to honor these children. So I had no intention of being arrested. However, if I did not receive any information and that these children are okay and they were so hostile that I had to protest, I had to say, no, please let me know these how these children are. It was very scary, actually. There are three police officers to arrest us because or to stop us from going near the facility. That's very scary. It sounds frightening. 
even those of us who aren't in the United States, our hearts are going out to these children and families. But there's a difference between the concern and the care and the compassion and actually deciding to do something. What brought you to that point where you decided you were actually going to take some kind of action to do something? Mm. I have worked with many women of many cultures and many families as a labor and delivery nurse and as a public health nurse again for years. And I've worked near the border with Latino women and I've worked on um, Native American reservations. So I've worked with a variety of women and many women that are not well treated in our culture and children as well. I'm a grandmother. I'm a mother. I love children. Children being separated from their parents, I can't think of anything more horrifying. I understand this because I've worked with women that gave birth in that were incarcerated in New Mexico and, and actually came to the hospital in shackles to give birth, at which times their babies were removed from them and then they went back to prison in shackles. And it was abuse. It was horrible abuse. Yeah. And all I did was try to care at the time and it it never felt enough. It never was enough. And that we're now arresting and separating these families who have come here for asylum, who've come here because they're suffering abuse, violence in their own countries and have then had to travel from El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras through horrific circumstances to get here because they thought they could receive asylum from this country. We are traumatizing these families even further and going against international law. I have to speak out. I have to do something. I don't have a choice. And my father was a survivor. He did emigrate to this country from Germany at the age of 13. I'm somewhat aware of his story, although it was so traumatizing for him. He didn't share much about it. But no, if we don't speak out now, there's just no question. It's interesting to me that grandmothers, as grandmothers, sort of naming themselves as grandmothers, as sort of the guardian of the future as the keepers of historical memory are feeling particularly compelled. And does that resonate for you? Does that make sense to you? It does. I have six grandchildren and they deserve to live in a world where we all see people as one, where we all love one another and that we all are equal. We are all immigrants to this country, all of us. And here we came here as immigrants and abused the people that were here. And now we're abusing people that are coming to our country that were immigrants as were we. I'm concerned. And to come back to what happened that brought you to my attention, and I think to the world's attention, you were taken away in handcuffs. In the little video clip, we saw you being handcuffed and the basket of toys falling on the ground. And what happened to you after you were taken away by the police? I was placed in jail in a small little cell with two other women, fingerprinted and um, told I could make a phone call. So I was in jail for a little over six hours, at which time I was given $5,000 bail, but allowed out on my own recognizance. And I have a court date coming up, which is the end of this month on July 30th, where I have to appear in the court for my sentence. And the charge was trespassing, Liz? Misdemeanor trespass, correct. Uh -huh. Is there a group of you or a group that you are turning to for support as you go into a court date? Solidaridad con los niños has been very supportive and we've been very, I and Jesse have been very blessed to have a lawyer who has stepped up to be our legal representative, Dan Siegel, who's an Oakland lawyer, and he is joined by Walter Riley, wonderful lawyers and well-known nationally. We're very lucky, which feels very ironic as well, because we have children and families of immigrants who are not getting that kind of service. So I'm grateful, but what I really would like us to be doing 
is supporting right now Freedom for Immigrants, which is an organization that provides visitation and legal support for those immigrants that are incarcerated. Our county has stopped its involvement with ICE. However, they're now having all of the immigrants that have been incarcerated sent to another state. And so what we want to do is raise bail and bond so they can pay that bail and bond and be let out before they have to go to Colorado, which is way far away from their families. And they don't have access to the legal care I have. So I feel blessed, but I still realize that I'm a very elite person in this respect, that I am not considered an illegal immigrant, which my father was when he first came here to this country. Right. It resonates in so many ways. And I know that so many people feel as you do. And yet, even as someone who is privileged, certainly more privileged than those who are coming in as illegal immigrants and the way they're being treated, still and yet you could be arrested just for standing outside uh, an agency and trying to bring uh, solace to children. It's a shocking moment. And I wonder, Liz, how has this affected you in terms of what you're going to do going forward? I am going to continue to advocate for these children and these families as much as I can and try to increase awareness and continue being, to be an advocate and an activist regarding children and their families. Truly wonderful. Our organization has received so much support and so many people saying they want to do things. What can they do? Um, they want to donate money. So what we've been encouraging people to do is to start their own groups and vigils and become aware of what's happening in their communities as far as detail centers for children that have been separated and children as well that have been unaccompanied minors that are detained, that some of them for years in these facilities and advocate for them. They deserve to have their freedom. They deserve to be reunited with their families or their sponsor here. People don't come here and leave their homes casually. It's because they're escaping violence. They're coming here for safety, for care, and that's not what we're offering. I continue to be shocked and horrified at what I learn. And the more I know, the more I know I don't no, it's just, wow, that's what's happening here. Yes. Right. I mean, when the, the lead physician in the American Academy of Pediatrics state that this is government sanctioned child abuse and that we're paying millions of taxpayer dollars for this. And she says, as citizens, we have an obligation to advocate against the devastating harm being inflicted on our names. And I want to continue to share what she said. Her name's Colleen Kraft. If we permit such brutal treatment of already traumatized children to continue, the stain will be on all our hands. And that's powerful. We have an order now that children be reunited at the end of, by July 26th. Not a lot of information coming out now, but we do still know that they're being abused in these internment centers. It is not okay. And we all have to educate ourselves and do what we can, whether it's donating money, whether it's getting out there and joining your group to see how we all can offer comfort. It's just so important, I think, right now. I just commend you so much for the work that you're doing and the actions that you've taken personally, but also how you're exhorting others to join in. I don't know how old your grandchildren are, but what has their reaction been? Well, my teenage grandsons who don't live near me. I live near some younger grandchildren. <laughs> they, they're very proud of me and they find it very funny because I'm not a social media person. I don't know Twitter or Facebook. So they find it really amusing because they're very savvy. They, they find that amusing. They're all just such a joy. I just want to thank you so much and good luck on July 30th. There will be lots of us thinking about you and watching to see what happens, hearing about what else you do in the future with this tremendously important issue. Well, thank you so much, Ilana, and thank you for all you do. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. 
If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.